Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. It is Thursday night, 8.30 here in Toronto, and I'm just so happy to be here every week. I say this every week. It's never not true. To those of you who are logged in or listening on the podcast or are watching on YouTube uh, after the live event, thank you. It means the world that you're tuning in to watch us as we uh, basically mine the history of living martial artists in a way that we hope you love and that we love. Uh, my name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts tonight. And it's, uh, again, a great pleasure to do this. And perhaps uh, one of the greatest parts of that pleasure is every week I get to introduce Sensei Nicholas Suino. And um, he's someone I met, I'm going to say 1994-95, other than seeing one of the most incredible sword demos, uh, demos of any kind I've ever seen, uh, I clocked it, I went, holy shit, and then I didn't fully know who that gentleman was until being reintroduced to him when I picked up a Bokan and ultimately an Iaito a bit later. Uh, and he's become one of my favorite people in the world uh, and uh, through my sensei and also directly my Iaito instructor. And he's responsible for me doing jujitsu. Sensei Suino is an eighth dan in Iaito, a sixth dan in judo and Japanese jujitsu. I was thinking of you today, Sensei Suino. I, um, I posted something, I think it was on Twitter where I said, politically, I tend to be uh, in line with vegans but energetically, I'm way more in line with hunters. And I thought of you. And I'm like, and you and I have not talk, talked a lot of politics. I think we'd probably line up pretty close anyways. But I, I thought of you, I was like, energetically, I'd rather be out in the woods with you, fucking lining up the scope for a bone arrow, whatever the hell you're going to teach me how to do when this is all over. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Because uh, it was nice to think you that way today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, always the introduction that you that you give is amazing. And um uh, I'd love to have you come and uh, and walk the Western Mountains or sit in a in a blind in Michigan with me, just so you can get the the, the true sense of the experience. Um, oh, and I don't get to for it. yeah, I dress for it. That's an important lesson. I don't get to say this enough, and I, I you know because I get caught up in the flow of our event. But I just want to say back at you, Sean, for the opportunity now to have gotten to know you so much better. You know, we've trained together quite a bit over the years, but um, to be able to talk this way. Uh, has has been a real privilege for me. So thank you for for everything. It falls to me each week to introduce Randy Dauphin, um, uh, sensei to many, um, incredible student to a few, uh, um, uh, you know, former world champion, high-ranking karate and idol practitioner, um, uh, one of the finest human beings that I know. And I wanted to share a couple of thoughts that we went out on last time, just to kind of bookend this, uh, because. Um, I think these two things summarize uh, my relationship with Randy and his relationship with the world uh, really well. So at the end, um, having, having uh, we, 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 this show uh, focused on Randy last week. And at the end, I was really inspired by the conversation. I wrote this uh, and posted it with a picture of Hanchi Legacy, Randy and myself up at the, the dojo in Kitchener. And I wrote this uh, as if I were using, as if I were speaking uh, uh, for, from Randy, using Randy's words. And I said, you can't do what I do. It's not that you don't have the potential, but what I do is the culmination of decades and layer upon layer of hard physical work. More important, the eternal fortitude is missing. You're not hard enough. You're afraid of the effort. Don't be afraid of the effort. Make yourself harder. I'll help. And if you're not sure what that means, uh, to celebrate Randy's birthday this year, when he turned 49, right, he did 49 burpees, 49 deadlifts with 250 pounds, 
49 squat overhead thrusts with a 50 pound kettlebell and 49 stiff legged deadlifts with, a, with 60 pound dumbbells. He said he wanted to do it in under 49 minutes. He did it in just over 27 minutes. And so he did another 49 burpees, 49 pull-ups times two and 49 push-ups times two. It makes me tired just saying that. But I want you to know the caliber of this gentleman who's about to take over the microphone. Randy, great to see you as always. And uh, take it away. Thanks, I say. I liked uh, Sean's post about where are you going as soon as you can travel again. There wasn't even a second thought that I was going to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Like, if the border opened up at midnight tonight at 12:01, I'd be crossing it to get in, into the states and train with you. So, and we'd be doing we'd be doing Yada three in the morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It'd be like fighting with Sense of Legacy at two in the morning. So it's all good. Right. right? Uh, so each week I get to introduce uh, Hanchi Legacy and our guest who today it's uh, it's Sensei Robert Mustard and I'm the things I'm going to say about Sensei Legacy is 10th uh, degree black belt. Uh, he got that from his Sensei Anthony Sandoval. He's also been inducted into the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame. Uh, he's he's actually a Canadian Kumite champion. He was never a world champion because that didn't actually exist when he was fighting on the on the stage or i'm sure he would have been a world champion he's an author as his sense suino is an author like i'm so happy to be sitting here with these uh these books right now um uh another thing that we we often don't talk about is that uh he has a long-standing and successful franchise of schools across canada um many of them with a lot of senior instructors who uh, share the same vision and same standards that he has. Um, like that's from all across Ontario and often into British Columbia. And that's how we met actually Sensei Mustard. But uh, he's a student, of, was a student of Harold Warden, a disciple of Benny Allen's, a student of Richard Kim's, and he currently trains with uh, Anthony Sandoval. Um, Sensei Legacy, you won't find anybody who cares about martial arts and that their students get the martial art as much as him. Um, just a few weeks ago, he was here with a green belt and he spent an endless amount of time as a person who's been in martial arts for over 50 years with a green belt, spent like a good 15 or 20 minutes, just trying to help this young man move his hips and use his hips to do his karate properly. I think that speaks a lot to, um, the type of person that Sensei Legacy is. He has super high standards when it comes to martial arts too, which is why I think he pours so much of himself in. As an example of that, uh, I was thinking today about uh, the black belt grading that he makes all of the black belts in Legacy Shoranru go through, all of us. It's a four to five hour ordeal that is a meat grinder where you have to demonstrate your 16 katas at a high level. You have to stand in front of a panel of high ranking black belts who are gonna ask you questions you have to do all of your basics. You have to explain and demonstrate Bunkai. And you have to fight for a really long time. I mean, you have to fight for a really long time. You have to fight to the point where you're guaranteed not to be winning anymore. You're only going to be enduring um, what's, going, what's going on. I've seen people get kicked through chairs. I've seen people get their ribs broken. I've seen people, you know, have to take a <laughs> knee because they've been... They've been dazed. Um, but one thing that I know is after he puts people through that grading, the next day, they're a different person. And when they come to the dojo and you say, do one kata, 
in front of some people, fight one person. It's different. It's a different thing. Uh, so uh, my introduction to Sense Legacy as a person who loves martial arts will give any student endless amounts of time and has extremely high standards that, and expects you to meet those standards, but is also willing to help you meet those standards. And now I'm going to turn my sights to Sensei uh, Robert Mustard. Uh, he started his martial arts journey in Toronto, Sean, probably somewhere close to where you're sitting. And he started in Kung Fu with Jack Chin and James Lore. Uh, he's also a second dan in Kendo with Larry Nakamura. He began his Aikido training under Kamita Sensei in Toronto. Then when he was a third dan, he decided to train at the Yoshikan headquarters in Japan where he planned to train for one year, but then decided to stay for 10. I think that's pretty cool, right? You're gonna, I think I'm gonna get into this for a year and then a decade later, you're still there doing it. Uh, while he was at the Yoshikan Hombo Dojo um, in May of that year, he enrolled in, I'm gonna butcher this, in the uh, Sen, Sen Hui training program. Um, and that training program is something that I think we want to talk about with him because it sounds pretty extreme. Uh, uh, Sensei Mustard does not consider himself to be a direct student of Shiota Sensei, who was there at the time. Uh, he took most of his training under Takino Sensei and Shida Sensei. Uh, one year after uh, Shiota Sensei's death, Sensei Mustard and his wife Carol left Japan, and then they settled in. British Columbia, Vancouver, and now he runs his dojo in Burnaby, BC, where we also have a Legacy Shoranru dojo in Burnaby, BC. And it's actually Mike Russell who's running that dojo now under the guidance of Nick McLaren. Uh, he attained his seventh degree black belt in December of 2006. He was awarded the title of Shihan August 2011, uh, and he was awarded his eighth degree black belt uh, by the Yoshikan Hombo Dojo in November of 2014. Um, one of the really cool things is if you have a chance, you can get a better sense of who he is by reading the book, Angry White Pajamas, where he's better, featured. Better not, better not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I want to give my thoughts on, uh, I don't know Sensei Mustard well. We only talked briefly on the phone a few times in tonight. Um, but one thing I'll say is he's a humble person. Um, because when we talked to him, he said what many of the other humble masters that we've interviewed said, I don't really have anything to say. Nobody wants to know who I am. Nobody's really going to care. Um, so I know that he's humble. Uh, he knows what it takes. When you hear about that training program that he undertook, which was 11 months, six and a half hours a day, five days, five days a week, um, he's a guy who knows what it takes to achieve something at a high level. Uh, in my readings and in people that I've talked to, I like the way he teaches, uh, specifically his, his philosophies on Kenshu, that he gives detailed and logical explanations of techniques, doesn't just leave it out there um, as something that you have to fill the blanks in for. Uh, he's honest. I know that because when we talked, he didn't shy away from the reputation that sometimes Aikido has out there. Um, he just embraced it. He's a very genuine person. Also, when we talked, he talked about drinking beer, training, 
struggles of running a dojo. Um, I like all of those things and I can relate to all of that. Uh, he's definitely worldly. He's a person who's been all over the world in Japan. He teaches in Hungary. He's a, this, this man is a global practitioner of martial arts and he's sought after globally to come and instruct. And one thing I know for sure, even though I haven't experienced it, is I know that Sensei Mustard is capable. And the reason why I know that is because one of my best friends in the world, Nick McLaren, who I consider to be one of the most capable people in a real situation, uh, said to me about Sensei Mustard, he said, I really like this guy, Randy. You'd really like him. Sensei Legacy would really like him. This guy's a real badass. That's what, and that's my introduction for Sensei Robert Mustard. Thank you, Sensei Dofan. So uh, I'm going to do this quickly for the people watching. Uh, some of you have already chimed in, which is brilliant. We want you to be a part of this. We want your questions. At the bottom of your Zoom screen, there's a chat button. Click on there, um, chime in uh, as you wish. And if your questions aren't bullshit, we're going to uh, pass them forward to our guest as we do every week. The other thing is, you just heard me say the word bullshit. You might hear that again tonight. You might hear that from any of us. The point is, is that this is punch, kick, choke chat. We're all having a chat. You're all privy to it. I just say that because if you have any young children watching or you have people who are easily offended, um, this might not be the show for them. What you can do is uh, ask us to send you a video copy on DVD, and then you can go through and bleep out the swear words because that's going to be a lot of fun for you um, because we're not that worried about it. Um, Sensei Mustard, um, I, I'm really excited to talk to you. And I just want to echo what Sensei Dolphin said. Anybody that uh, my brother Nick McLaren vouches for is someone I'm excited to meet. So we tend to go back through uh, our practitioner's history, and I can't wait to do that with you. But in our pre-chat that we had before people were watching, um, I'm choosing not to call you Robert tonight. I'm going to call you Sensei. But, but you have some opinions on that, on the Sensei versus the, you know, your Christian name. What's up with that? Oh, well, very good. First off, thanks very much, everything. Randy, I'll try to live up to that really nice introduction. Thank you very much. Uh, what I, I'll tell you what I tell people when they come to my dojo, because I'm uh, I, that's all I do now. I have a small, humble 50-mat dojo in Burnaby. Uh, it's how I make my living. Um, and when people ask me, I always tell them, and if this makes sense and they like it, great. Uh, they ask me, what should they call me? And I always tell them, my name is Rob. And on the mat, you must call me sensei. And I said, for a couple of reasons. One, it means you trust that I will do the best I can to make your martial arts experience the best it can be. But that means number two, you have to do what I say, when I say it, no questions. I'm not interested in your opinion. You do what I say. If you can't do that, then this isn't uh, the right dojo for you. And having said that, I'm pleased that most people, most of my students call me sensei off the mat also, which means hopefully I'm acting like one. And I think that's, that's really kind of important. I don't like all the titles and stuff like that, but I got stories about all that stuff if you want to hear it later. But I think it's, if we really, if we're not careful, we really get stuck in all these uh, titles and stuff like that, that if we're not careful, they don't have any meaning. This is awesome, Sensei. I'm already excited to, to get into all this. So uh, where, where were you born in Toronto? What area of Toronto? And, I'm uh, right from downtown. I was born on the street called Moore Street, which is between Logan and Carla, south of Eastern, where all the movie studios are now. 
I know it well. I audition yeah. there all the time and yeah. uh, I've shot there as well. I'm over in the on the West End in the Junction. So you're yeah. born in the 50s in Toronto. Why do you walk into a Kung Fu dojo uh, in 1970 and fill well, in the gaps with anything you want to share about that? Yeah, time? well, I was kind of really good friends with a Japanese family across the street and they talked about martial arts and uh, I won't get too philosophical stuff, but I come from a kind of broken home with two alcoholic parents and stuff like that. And uh, I was a typical Canadian kid and I, I played hockey. That's all I dreamed about and all I wanted to do was play hockey. Uh, but I was interested in martial arts and also interested in music. And um, but I couldn't we, I couldn't afford to go anywhere. We didn't we didn't couldn't do anything. And you might remember I just a couple of times I went to the Hatashida Judo Club, which used to be at Jarvis and Queen. And uh, and I couldn't afford to go there. So I didn't really go. And then and then basically in high school, I was still interested in martial arts. And and this is going to sound really funny because if you talk to the guys who know me, I'm a pretty big guy now. But in high school, in grade nine, I tried out for the football team. And in grade nine, and I didn't make the team. I was too small. <laughs> Everyone makes a team in grade nine. I didn't make the team. <laughs> I was too small. Uh, but I liked music, so I joined the band in, in, in grade nine. Um, we were sitting around in the cafeteria, and without sounding really pompous, one of my friends said five words that changed my life. We were talking about martial arts, and this was, I think, in 1970. And he said, my uncle teaches Kung Fu. So I said, you think we could go to the school? And he said, I don't know, I'll call my sister. And the next day, we went down to the Jingmo Kung Fu Club on Hagerman Street, which is right behind the city hall. I haven't been in Toronto for a while, so I'm not sure. But uh, And I met Jack and Jimmy, and they said, yeah, you can join. And it was $5 a month. Wow. And after <laughs> after the first couple months, they they did a, a, a lion dance parade and I helped with the parade and they said, you don't have to pay anymore. That was it. And then I went Monday, Monday to, to Friday, not every day, of course, but I was, I was there a lot, pretty much. And that's where I met one of my dearest friends. We're still friends 45 years later, Robin Young, Sifu Robin Young. He's in Guelph now. Oh, that's awesome. Guelph's my hometown. Yeah. And I just trained there. And then, uh, this is going to sound really bad because I'm an Aikido teacher now, but uh, my ego, I needed to get a black belt. In those days, you know, if you read Black Belt Mag and stuff, you have to get a black belt. And uh, we used to just call them Jack and Jimmy. We never called them Sifu. They, it was a traditional school. Um, they didn't have any rank. You just went, you trained, and that was it. And I told Randy when we had the chat before this, we weren't allowed to spar because it was a traditional school. So we always had to wait until Jack or Jimmy left and then we will just beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> and we didn't have any gloves or anything. So we just beat the shit out of each other. So now if you just say nose punch, my nose just starts bleeding automatically. Uh. Uh, and, and then from there, I just, um, I, I wanted to do a different martial art and I wanted to get a black belt, but I couldn't afford the other places. Uh, and I went to see Aikido and I didn't like it, believe it mm. or not. I didn't like it. And I went to see Kendo and I thought, oh, I have to do this. So and I started that was five years later, right? You'd been doing Kung Fu for five full yeah, years. Four before. And for five years, yeah. So that's a lot of time in an art uh, as a beginner anyways. And that's, you know, a lot of time swinging at each other. So what drew you to Kendo? I just, you just saw the screaming yell and the bash and I just knew I had to try it. I just had to try it. And <laughs> I kind of, so at one point I was basically, you know, doing Kung Fu twice a week and um, 
kendo, you know, kung fu three or four times a week and kendo twice a week. Uh, I'm a martial arts bum. If, 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 I, if I spent all the energy in martial arts that I did in school, or I spent all the energy from martial arts on school, I'd probably have three PhDs by now. But I'm a bit of a martial arts bum. I always worked so I could train. And then I went to Japan in 1977 for kendo. I spent a month in Japan traveling around visiting kendo dojos. And when I came back, uh, I got asked to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan to do a kendo demonstration. Really? Believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, there I saw Yoshin Kanaikido for the first time and met Kimeda Sensei there. And uh, he said, come on to our dojo anytime, but I didn't have a car, I couldn't really go. And But I was at Ryerson, now it's called Ryerson, University, but at that time it was Ryerson Polytechnical Institute. Mm -hmm. And um, Kimeda Sensei started a club there and I started going. <coughs> so Kung Fu twice a week, Kendo twice a week, Aikido twice a week, and then Kung Fu twice a week, Aikido four times a week, Kendo twice a week, and then Kung Fu once a week, Kendo twice a week, Aikido six times a week. And there, I guess, realistically, um, after about two months or so, I just, I just kind of knew, I knew right. Aikido was the martial art for me. So I want to break know. open why, but before we do that, Sensei Suino, do you know, like in that period of time, do, were, were you aware of that, uh, that kendo and that Aikido happening in, in your city? Um, I didn't really meet anybody having to do with kendo until I came back from Japan much later, but um, I'm curious, was Kimeta Sensei, um, did he have any relationship with, uh, with uh, uh, Kushida Sensei? Kushida Sensei, yes. I mean, Kushida Sensei was Kimeta Sensei's teacher in Japan. That's why we went to the, he used to, in the beginning when Kushida Sensei went to the States, he would have a martial arts day. So there would be Aikido and Kendo and Judo and Karate and Aikido. And then when he got a bit bigger, it was just Aikido. But that's where, we, that's why I went down for the Kendo demonstration at Kimeda Sensei. And I've been to Ann Arbor many times because I did my, well, I did my Shodan in Windsor, Ontario. And I did my Nidan and Sandan in Ann Arbor at Kushida Sensei's dojo. Because we would go down there to, to, um, to show respect for Kushida Sensei because he was Kimeda Sensei's teacher in Japan. Uh, you know, and they, Kushida Sensei used to put on an amazing demo every year. Um, you know, not in this dojo, but a Hill Auditorium, which is a major performance venue down there. And yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I was there many, many times. Were you? And if I'm not mistaken, you may remember this. I think Shiota Sensei came over a few times back in the early days. I was, okay. Well, I, I, was, I was in. I was sitting in the seats, <laughs> admiring it from afar. Very there. cool. Yep. Yeah. That was 1980. I was EQ at the time in 1980. The first time Shiota Sensei. That's why you guys probably know Kevin Block Sensei. Him and I are quite good friends, and we I, went down and stayed with him. And I have to go to town because the one here is not open. No. And of course, you you know, uh, Kushida Sensei uh, passed away, but his son now runs that yes. the dojo there. And um, I I can't say we're friends, but we you know we're we're friendly. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I he's mean, been around forever. Yeah, I've been around. I mean, I did showdown the same time Akira did his showdown. We did it the same day. Yeah, I I've seen him do his Aikido. It's pretty amazing. Turn the lights yeah. on. Sir. Yeah. I'm um, Sensei Dofen. Did you did you have something you wanted to chip in on there? I just wanted to say, I find it interesting that Sensei Mustard um, has martial arts history in Ann Arbor, Guelph, and Windsor. And I just wondered if he has it, because that's my hometown is Windsor. So I wondered if he had any martial arts history in Jacket River, New Brunswick, where Sensei Legacy's from. <laughs> no, but I've done a couple of them, a couple seminars in Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't been there. 
Um, so Sensei Mustard, um, th this, is, this is an exciting question for me. I love when people hit turning points and, and forks and roads. You know, you're training Kung Fu all the time. You're training the Kendo. What is it about the Aikido and without, you know, or with, it's up to you disparaging any other arts, but what were you missing that this thing said, oh, now I found it. This, I'm this guy now. It was probably more Kimeda Sensei than me or the martial art. Kimeda Sensei was very charismatic and very wonderful. And we had, a, we still have a real strong relationship. And, and without sounding again pompous, uh, he was like my father. Mm. He was like my father, right? And, 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 and we were, we were very close. I was, I was his favorite punching bag, apparently. And it would just, the, the Aikido is, if you do, done right, Aikido can be beautiful and powerful and spectacular. Uh and uh, I've never been accused to be calling an Aiki bunny. So, um, you know, but there are, there are facets of Aikido that are really more like dance than they are martial art. And Kimeda Sensei was pretty martial and very powerful and strong. And the techniques were just kind of really, really cool. I just really liked it. That's awesome. So uh, let's crack that open. Uh, what's an Aiki bunny and what's not an Aiki bunny? Well, Aiki bunny is, uh, is kind of where they just do a little bit of an empty movement with no power and they do a throw and the person hits the ground and does a nice little fancy little roll and gets up and they never sweat and they just talk about Aikido's peace, love and harmony and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. California, you see a lot of them in California. Sorry, I didn't say that out loud, but <laughs> just you know. And I mean, when I was talking with Randy, I mean, Aikido has a really bad reputation, and it's deserved. So most Aikido people can't punch, they can't strike, they don't kick hardly at all ever, and they don't really block very well. And but it's a martial art, but they get around it because we have this cooperative partner. And if we're not careful, we can do things that are stupid. It don't make sense. All you karate guys know, you can punch like that all you want till you hit something. And then you're in trouble. You have to be able to be powerful and has to be forceful. Gozo Shoda said Aikido is beautiful, but he meant beautiful like, like a raging river or a powerful mountain, that type of thing. And you see a lot of Aikido where they, I, I call it the mystery block, where they, they don't block or they block, the punch comes to their face and they, block from underneath from five feet away and I know some karate people they're right here uh, Nick and Stefan Fournier he punched me once and I don't want to be punched by him again but if you don't if you miss the block you should get hit and my students know if they hit me I won't get mad mm. and I was talking to a really good friend of mine who studied with Legacy Sensei he's like my brother kind of like you guys have Randy you have with Mark his name's Chris Johnson I'm sure he might be on here he's a fabulous fabulous man and we were talking today and I we, we always talk anyways but there's a bunch of Aikido people out there would do really well to get punched in the face mm. it would be really good for them to get punched in the face uh, because they do, they do things that don't make sense I did that once at a seminar it says the Serenos Dojo <laughs> yeah, you're, you're talking, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I did that once with a guy we were punching in, and you, I don't know that much about karate, forgive me, but you have something called Yakusoku Kumite, right? And so if you're practicing face punches, don't kick the guy in the balls, just practice your face punch. And if he's a beginner, grade it. But if he's high ranking, if you're punching for the face, punch like you mean it. And if he misses the block and you have the right relationship, it's not going to worry. I did that with a guy we were punching. I was punching for his face and he said, oh, you don't punch very hard. I said, you're not blocking correctly. 
And I said, so there's no sense for me punching because I'm going to hit you. He said, okay, go ahead, try and hit me. So I hit him and he just went <laughs> like that. And then he did the block. <laughs> and he said, all right. Oh, that was, that was, okay. that was, that was, that was a good punch. No. But yeah, I mean, you know, when I, when I went with, you know, with Kimeta Sensei and Takuma Sensei, Sensei, if I went to hit them, I tried to hit them. Mm. Right. And I hadn't, haven't hit them yet, but mm. so, yeah. And that's the problem with sometimes with Aikido. Well, thanks for getting right at the center of that out of the gate. I actually read an article about that today when I was doing research and, you know, uh, someone much like yourself said uh, uh, something very similar. I can't remember who wrote it, but also one thing they mentioned is that Aikido uh, traditionally um, was something you would do with another art. Is that something you agree with? And you obviously arrived with some striking experience. That's a really good question. If your teacher can punch, then you should be able to punch. I mean, you know, uh, I don't, I don't do any weapons in my dojo. The only weapon we do is called kensuburi. We swing the sword because I like swinging the sword, and the sword is a really good metaphor for uh, training because if you don't swing it right, it won't cut. Mm. The swordsman that can't cut is dead, you know. And if you just use your arms and the sword is all muscle, the sword won't cut you're dead so you have to do i have to train correctly i believe that right and so we teach them how to we don't do kicking so much but we teach them how to do the correct strikes that we do and correct the correct the correct target and what we talk about in my dojo a lot is you don't have to hit hard but you have to hit and you have to hit with intent and if you don't do that, whether you're swinging the sword or you're swinging a jaw or you're swinging a knife or you're punching or kicking, if you just do empty movements, you're really kind of doing martial masturbation. And you know, you might think <laughs> you might you might think it's really cool and be good and it looks great and stuff like that, but it, it, it's rubbish. You know. Thanks, Sensei. I don't think anyone in this call disagrees. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for cosplay in this martial art. You get to or, or any of these martial well, arts. I mean. I'm, uh, one of my students was said, Sensei, you're a businessman. I said, oh, thank you. And she said, but you're not a very good one. And uh, I, said, I said, fair enough. But, but in my dojo, I got a thing that a friend sent me. And it basically, it said, people say, they, when they, usually when they join a martial art, they don't care about your history or whatever. It's what can you do for them? They want, they want a practical form of self-defense. They want to get fit. Right? They want a sense of community, maybe joining the dojo. And most importantly, sometimes if we're not careful, they want the fantasy. And especially with Japanese martial arts, the fantasy is the samurai and the sword and the hakama and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my dojo, we don't wear hakama. Um, I, I hate wearing a hakama. Sensei Mustard, can I ask you a question about the fantasy? Yes. Um, when you have a, uh, so I actually was talking about this last week. Uh, and the fantasy, I think, sometimes can be inspiring for people and it can get them motivated and get them moving pretty quick. And then the danger is that they just go to that place and they live there forever. Do you, like, do you burst the bubble the first day they walk in or do you let them live in the fantasy a little uh, bit before you I'm actually. Yeah, that's a really good question, Randy. I'm lucky now because I've been, I have one senior student who's been with me for 18 years and uh, I, his name is Farshad and I'm very biased because I think he is the finest young Yoshinkan teacher on the planet. He's a very special young man. He trained with me for, I, had, I used to have two classes a night, so 40 classes a month. He did 40 classes a month 
for seven and a half years and never missed a class. Love that very, guy. Very, very impressive young man. And if you talk to Nick and Stefan, they know him too. And, What's and his, so I, what was his name again, Sensei? Can you say Farshad Arjastani. He's an Iranian immigrant. He came to my dojo and I said, do you want to watch Aikido? He said, okay. I said, have you practiced Aikido before? He said, okay. I said, you don't understand anything I'm saying, do you? He said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and seriously, and he, came, and he came to the dojo the next day and he came every class after that. He's a very, very special young man. Mm. Right? That's awesome. And so, so what I'm getting at is, I can be the nice old guy. I can be the grand old sensei, the kind old Yoda, or you know, what's who was the guy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the old rat or whatever, or something like that. Because Freshad is the fascist, screaming, yelling at people. And to like to give you a good story, I had one student. Um, he hasn't been around since COVID, but he was a uh, very high functioning Ashburgers, and we were talking about the idea. And my dojo, we talk about a lot when you're training about intent. And I said, if you're going to strike, you have to strike like you mean it. And I said, who wants to hit me? And Ryan put his hand up and I said, okay, Ryan, come up. And I grabbed his hand, I shoulder, and we were going to do, basically you're supposed to do just basically a flick like that. And I grabbed his shoulder and he wound up from about four feet back. And I thought, Oh shit, I shouldn't realize. And I didn't move and he clocked me like you wouldn't believe. He just came flying in and whacked me. And I said, well, that was great. And I said, Randy, sorry. I said, um, Ryan, do you want to do it again? He said, yeah, that was great. He did it again. He just clocked me twice and it was brilliant. But afterwards, Rashad had him over in the corner just screaming and yell at him. And since it says, hit him, don't hit him. You can see Ryan going, but he said, hit him, what could I do? <laughs> so, but if you don't have that intent, and I can do that. We have it. And like I said, Rashad's the one who screams and yells at people. He's a brilliant young teacher, a brilliant young teacher. So I can be nice. Though, if you talk to Stefan, he'll probably tell you I can also be a real miserable bastard too. And I have a certain way about training. In my dojo, we don't talk. Nobody looks at the clock. They all look at the clock once. I always catch them. And we just take that idea that if you talk about training, martial arts, the martial art part of it, you know, there's no water breaks in combat there's no pee mm. breaks in combat you don't give a shit how your hair looks and how your doggy is and what time it is in combat if someone has a three foot razor blade and they're intent on cutting you in half you just have to do what you have to do so we have that kind of martial idea in the dojo i'm a lot more relaxed than i was when i came back from japan uh, i know a guy who's known me for a long time he said when i first came back from japan i was a hard and miserable son of a bitch so and my teacher, my first teacher in Japan, Takino Takafumi sensei, he was a hard guy too. And they said that when his first daughter was born, he changed, became mm. a little bit nicer. If he was a bit nicer after his daughter, I wouldn't want to see him before that. Holy crap. Yeah. But they said when my daughter was born, I, I lightened up a little bit. And and what I what I tell people honestly is that I take Budo very, very, very seriously. But I don't take myself that seriously because I've just seen too many people who, you know, I mean, I don't let people carry my bag. I don't, you know, the only good thing I let, Farshad, he's a Sandan and he's been doing Yaido for almost 15 years now. He's a Sandan in the same style that uh, Sueno Sensei does, Mukujikiri Nationiru. And 
the only thing I let Farshad do for me is I let him fold my hakama because I am shit at folding <laughs> stuff. I, I don't know why I am shit at folding stuff. Uh, when I fold laundry, my wife just looks at me and says, what the hell are you doing? And to fold a hakama, I learned in Japan uh, on a table because that's what I would do. I would take the teacher's hakama and then I would put it on a table and then fold it up. I can't do it on tatami. It just takes me at least 20 minutes. I try to fold it and then it's like, oh, shit, and I shake it out and then I do it again. For Shad, I've timed him. He does my hakama in two and a half minutes and it's perfect. So I let him fold the hakama for me, but I don't like, uh, I don't like people carrying my bag and fussing after me and stuff like that. Though I will do that for my teachers. I don't know how that sounds, but uh, I don't like it. Um, I want to chip in on a word here that comes up every now and then in our interview series and in the martial arts world. What does Budo mean to you? Oh, it, it's basically Budo is the martial way. It's learning to do your best in the dojo, learning to do your best, never giving up, always trying as hard as you can. And then eventually you will take that over into your life. Mm. And if you work hard in the dojo, you'll work hard outside of the dojo. If you're lazy in the dojo, you'll be lazy outside of the dojo. Uh, you know, it's pretty hard to hide who you are when you're on the tatami. So I want to get you to Japan, but uh, I thought it'd be a good time to ask a question from Danielle Lolly. Um, thanks for the question. Which style of Aikido is your lineage and how long does it take to achieve a shodan in your system? Uh, that depends on the dojo, but I practice Yoshinkan Aikido. Yoshinkan Aikido was founded by Shoda Gozo Sensei in 1955. He was one of the most longest serving Uchi Deshi of the founder of Aikido, Ueshiba Morihei. And then in 1955, with Weisha's blessing, he started his own Yoshinkan Dojo. Uh, he had he was very well connected, and he had some uh, high people who sponsored him, really high ranking people who sponsored him. And he started the Yoshinkan, and and then he was teaching in universities, and he also had the Hanbu Dojo, of course. But he was teaching universities, which is where Kimeda Sensei started. And then when Kimeda Sensei came to Canada, he started teaching Yoshinkan Aikido. Mm -hmm. And how long would it take a, a dedicated practitioner to get a, a black belt or a showdown? It took me system? took me four and a half years. Mm -hmm. It took Rashad two and a half years. And forgive me, Suino Sensei, because I knew you were in Japan too. But if you want, if you're a Japanese housewife and you show up three times a week in Japan, you'll get it in a year and a half. Because in Japan, if you tell someone you're showdown or need out or son, then they'll say, Oh, that's very nice. And in Japanese, that means who gives a shit? You're only sundan or whatever. Uh, and, they, and they give the rank out pretty quickly in Japan, as, you, as, as I mean, Suino Sensei probably knows that. The difference is you won't be teaching. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, you I know, think probably most people, most people take about three, most of my students take three years to get shodan. And then I was explaining this to Randy. I hope I'm answering Danielle's question. I explained this to Randy. The problem is all my guys, once after they get shodan, they quit. Mm. So I'm keeping people at EQ for years and years and years now. <laughs> yes. all my, all, a lot of my guys, once they get shodan, they quit. Maybe I shouldn't tell them that shodan isn't the end, it's the beginning, which is exactly what it means. And I was quite depressed when I got my shodan and realized I didn't know shit. Mm. Uh, so, and but we were talking with some people too. The real truth is, all these kind of cliches we have sometimes are true. It is a real lifelong thing, so it, it doesn't really matter. Um, 
and the truth is you just have you know the stuff the stuff is supposed to enhance your life so if you use it for the fantasy or everything else and want to do that that's fine but you know um there's a really good saying or something along the lines of if you're prepared to punch someone you have to be prepared to be punched if you're prepared to stab someone you have to be prepared to be stabbed and if you're prepared to shoot someone you have to be prepared to be shot and most people think it's like in the movies where you're not going to get you're not going to get hurt you're going to be able to beat the guys up and it's just not true real martial real violence is blood shit piss and tears yeah you know? sensei don't finish but, do you have something you want to chip in there or pardon me sensei master you yeah. want to finish your thought no, I just can say, but the real truth is, I'm not sure because in 45 years of martial arts, I've never punched anyone in anger. Hmm. So that's either good or bad, depending who you talk to. Hmm. You know, but just oh, just one, one day I always had just a little Yoko Minuchi on the side of the neck to my daughter's boyfriend that just knock him out. That'd be great. And it turns out he liked my cooking. You know, he would call me and text me and say, "Can I come over for the Japanese nuggets?" I said, they're not nuggets. It's called karaage. He said, oh, I love, I love your nuggets. Said, they're not fucking nuggets. So, so he would come over and eat all my, he could really eat too. Holy crap. He would eat all my nuggets. You're so making me his, very hungry for your nuggets right his, now. His, 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 his nickname was Dopey. So yeah, the first one was Dopey. Uh, the second one was Bakaf. That's what I called him. And the third one was back to Dopey. So, yeah. So, but it's true. I not, but I think if I mean, if I gave someone a good whack, I think they would feel it. But what are you going to do? And I, this is what I tell my guys when we talk about it, because I think if people come to your dojo or anyone's dojo and they they, they say they're not interested in self defense, I think they're lying. I mean, I know why I studied. I was a skinny, scared kid in Toronto from getting beaten by his dad and stuff and this and that and now it turns out i'm a skinny scared bald old fat fucker so that's how it is but if you come into my house uninvited you are dead if you try to hurt my family you are dead any you know any other situation i'm not gonna worry about it. it's not a big deal mm. i think that makes sense and i've I told randy we were talking before this i mean i've come close many 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 times it just hasn't escalated. And my good friend, Stefan Fournier says, I have fire shooting on my eyes. And he says, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty hardcore guy. I don't know. No, you know, and that. that, yeah. And that was one of the best things. If you really, you know, we all have ego and stuff like that, and we're supposed to try and suppress it. But the truth is, uh, the one of the best compliments I've ever gotten was from the second consul of Yoshin Kanaikido. When my student was in Japan, she went to visit him. And because she took some forms from me and stuff, and she's going to bring back some certificates, which was nice of her. And they said, oh, anyway, Kancho is here. Would you like to meet him? She said, yes. So she met him and he said, hello, how are you? And he said, where do you study? And she said, I study Yoshinkan Aikido in Vancouver with Robert Mustard Sensei. And Inoue Sensei said, ah, Roboto-kun, karua majime. And that means like, oh, Mr. Robert, he's serious. The best compliment I've ever got. All the other stuff is can be sometimes can be fluff. Anyways, Sensei, um, I know I know we had a talk before this, so I won't say that Legacy Sensei is 74, 10 years older than me, because that would be kind of rude. And but when Inoue Sensei was 74, like Legacy Sensei, I hope when I'm 74, people will talk about me the same way I talk about Inoue Sensei. He was a real class act. A spectacular martial artist and a real gentleman. So I'm working on it. So, yeah. Thanks, Sensei.
1977 to 1986. What made you go, again, I always love saying this to people watching who might be younger than, yep. you know, 35. Uh, you can't just Google best place to stay in Japan or, uh, yep. hey, how much is a flight to Japan? Like, you got to do the legwork. You got to know people. You got to get over there. What makes you make that decision uh, to go for a year? And then, obviously, we all want to know what made you go, yep. oh, fuck it. I'm here for 10. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, the truth is, and this is the truth, you don't know me, you guys, but if you ask me a question, I'll answer, I'm pretty honest. I went to Japan because my senior, he was like my older brother, him and I, we did our, our sandan together. Um, he was my older brother, and he was one of the most decent, smartest men I've ever met. He went with his wife to Japan before me, and he said, get your ass over here. He said, the training is spectacular, you have some fun, you're not doing anything anyways. I used to work at Sick Kids Hospital. That's how I supported my martial arts training. I worked in the receiving department at Sick Kids Hospital. And, and I was in a long-term relationship. And my girlfriend went to McGill in Montreal to do her mm -hmm. master's degree. And so realistically, I mean, I had two years to play with. You know, we were in a long-term relationship. So I went for, uh, I thought I'd go for one year. And my friend Alistair was there. So I was going to go stay with him. The interesting part is I took all the letter of introduction from Kimeta Sensei and all the gifts. And there was one student in Kimeta Sensei's dojo who was Japanese, and she was convinced I was going to die if I went to Japan by myself. She was convinced I was going to die. So she arranged for me to stay with her family, and then she went to visit her family with me. And so I was going to stay with her family for a little bit to figure out what I was going to do. But by the time we left Toronto and arrived in Tokyo, her mother had had a big fight with her brother, so we couldn't stay with them, their family. So I said, it's okay, I'm sure I can stay with Alistair. And Alistair said, yeah, you can stay with us, it's fine. But they said, no, we're worried about you, we gotta take care of you. So for my first week in Japan, uh, this will be interesting, maybe Suina Sensei, he'll get a laugh out of this. My first week in Japan, I stayed at the new Hotel Otani for five days. And the Matsuda family paid for everything. It must have been horrendously expensive. Mm. An amazing place. Mm -hmm. I was I was so naive. I didn't even know what there was such a thing as a beer fridge. And they said make yourself at home. So every night I would take a little whiskey off the the bar, the wet bar or whatever. And then my final night there, I said, I wonder what this is. I opened up. It was full of beer. I thought, shit. <laughs> but but long long story. I was I'd never been a hotel room. I didn't know. Mm. Uh, and long story short, I had an introduction letter. So I went and stayed with my friend Alistair. And then the next morning, I put on a suit, went to the Yoshinkan Hambu Dojo. And Takino Sensei was there and he had a translator. And Takino Sensei read the letter from Kimeta Sensei. And he looked at me and he said, well, I have to check with Kancho Sensei, but it's probably okay that you stay in the dojo. And I said, what? I don't want to stay in the dojo. Because in those days, the Hambu Dojo was really strict. It was really strict. And I said, I don't want to stay in the dojo. I got to get a job. I got to find a place to live there. And then the translator said, well, you know, it really kind of looks like you're disrespecting your teacher if you turn down his wishes. I just think he was afraid to talk to Takino Sensei myself. But So I said, okay. So I went from the new hotel, Otani, for five days to the Yoshinkan Hambu Dojo, living in the Uchi Deshi room with 10 other smelly guys. So, sleep, you know, sleeping on a futon and getting up at six o'clock in the morning and cleaning the dojo and doing all the classes. 
and it was okay. It was a pretty, it was a pretty interesting month. I looked like a mummy because all the, 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 you know, there were the real tatami, which were hard and rough. So I had no skin on my knees, elbows, toes. I was covered in tape, and it was it was pretty interesting. But at least at least I did it for a month, and then I went out and got my own apartment. I lived in a six mat room, two minute walk from the dojo. A six mat room with a Japanese toilet. That was it because mm-hmm. I didn't have any money and but I had I got a part-time job teaching English and after after one year and we can talk about the century after that but basically after one year um, the English school I was working at basically said Rob we really like you we want you to work full-time for us and uh, we're going to pay you five thousand dollars a month <laughs> yeah. I said what really I said yeah and we're going to give you a month holiday a year, we're gonna give you two bonuses of a month's pay. So I kind of went all of a sudden from starving to having crap load of money. And uh, I thought, that's nice. So and Sensei, so- um, pardon me, before we jump to the Sensei Shai, um, yep. Sensei Dofa, I know wants to chip in with a, with a question or a thought. Yeah. I have a question. Just the only reason why Sensei Mustard is because uh, believe it or not, we've already been talking for almost an hour. We're only gonna go another half hour Okay. And there's some, there's some important things that happened in your past that I, uh, I think need to come up. And one, I'd really like to hear about the instructor training program that you okay. underwent for that 11 yeah. months. And I did nine months. I'll explain the difference, but yeah. Yeah. So then I, I have, uh, I also have some follow-up questions when you're done explaining okay. what it was and what you think it did for you. Um, okay. Uh, and so basically what happened was, uh, this is why I stayed so long is after one year, I realized I could stay one more year and save, save a lot of money because I'd never had any money in my entire life. So I wrote my girlfriend and I said, I'm going to stay one more year because I can save a shitload of money. So when you graduate with your master's degree, you should come to Japan. We'll, we'll both work for a year. We'll go back to Toronto and buy a house outright. And she wrote back and said, you couldn't save any money in Toronto. How can you save money in Tokyo, the most expensive city in the world? And by the way, there's a couple of guys here in Montreal who hope you stay in Japan for a long time. So I kind of stayed in Japan because I had nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I don't mean that badly. And don't I'm not thinking poor me because Sick Kids Hospital said they'd hire me back anytime. I could have gone back to Kimeda Sensei's dojo, but I was having a great time. The food was fantastic. The beer was good. The training was incredible. And all the girls thought I was cute. I'll tell you a secret, Sean. I ain't cute, but it was the blue eyes. That's what kind of got me. <laughs> and this I is blue eyes, I'd be a movie star. And then this is when it gets really spooky. Six months, six months later, I met and fell in love with a Japanese Canadian woman from Burlington, Ontario. We met in Tokyo. So other than that, what happened was I was looking at the Sensei training and that was, that time it was with the riot police. It wasn't the international course from Angry White Pajamas. It was only nine months with the Tokyo riot police. And they, they can't become a riot policeman unless they do uh, a course in Aikido, Judo, or Kendo. And because most of them do Judo, Kendo anyways, they knew they were going to get killed. So they did Aikido because they thought it would be easy. Mm. And they got killed. And I looked at the training and I thought, nope, not doing that. That's nuts. I'm not doing that. And then, so they had the big ceremony for the police and we all lined up and all the police went over to one side of the dojo and all the regular <coughs> people went to the side of the dojo and 
Takano Sensei came over and said to uh, my friend Alistair, you stand over there. And he looked at me and said, Robert, you stand over there. We were in the course. That was it. Nobody asked me nothing. Just boom, we were in the course. And nine months later, Takano Sensei shook my hand and said, good job. And I thought, wait a minute, everyone who was Shodan got Nidan. Everyone who got Nidan got Sandan. Alice and I were Sandan. Where's our Yondan? He just shook my hand and said, good job. And it was the worst nine months of my life. But hand on my heart, it was the best nine months of my life. Mm. But it was, it was pretty horrific. And it was nine months. And then when they started the international course, they made it nine months with the police and then an extra two months where they would teach them kind of how to run a dojo and all stuff like that, which didn't happen. Mm. So, it went, so my course was nine months. Um, and so can I in, ask you? Yeah. Can I ask you another question about that? It's more an opinion question, Sensei, and not so much a factual yes. question. Because you said it was the worst, but it was the best. And my daughter often says to me, the harder and more terrible something is, the more fondly you look back on it. And so I wonder, most of the people on this call have had to undergo maybe not something like nine months of constant, like, uh, yeah. I don't know, uh, physical and mental battle like you went through. But how do you think that changes a person after nine months? Like people who go through that, how do you think you looked at the world different after that nine month period? Whether it's, whether it's something like the Sensei Course, or whenever you go through the gauntlet or you go through the fire, you always come out stronger and realize that you're not going to die. Right? For example, um, we, we call it Koho Akemi, where you stand up and you fall back, you hit the mat, and then you stand up. That it's, we call it Koho Akemi, back break fall. In English, we call it a back break fall. Learn how to fall backwards so you don't knock yourself out. And in that whole nine months, we, and it was in the beginning, we did the Koho Akemi only one time. Only once, the whole nine months, we only did it once. But we did it for an hour and a half. We did probably over, I don't over 800. And then at the end, we had to do 50 holding our belt. So it's like kind of doing a reverse burpee. Mm -hmm. And if you can get the rhythm, it's not so bad. But I did every single one. My back's a bit crappy now. I can't even do one. Right? But my students forgive me. But I did it all. We would do, you know, you do things like you would do one technique over and over as fast as you could for an hour. And you, the only way you could get out of it is if you collapsed. And if you collapse, they would be very kind. They would come over, kick you, tell you to get up. And if you didn't get up, they'd drag you off to the corner and walk over every couple minutes and kick you to make sure you're not dead. And uh, it, was, it was pretty hard. You would do, we, it's called sawadiwaza, which means a kneeling technique. You would do a kneeling technique for an hour and a half in the morning and an hour and a half in the afternoon. And you would have no skin on your knees. There'd be blood everywhere. And I used to tell people, I used to look at my knees and I had holes on my knees that I could see China if I looked down the hole in my knee. It was just, it was a special, <laughs> it was a special kind of pain, a special kind of pain. But like I said, you do stuff like that, you realize you can kind of do anything, mm. right? Am I correct that That's you became an instructor there? I didn't become an That's instructor I, until 1991. Okay. That's what I hoped you would say, Sensei. What's, what's if, you can, if you can do that, you can do anything. 
I had, I was hoping that that's where you would come to. Because uh, I, I agree I, with you. Know, yeah, like I said, if you go through the gauntlet, I mean, and, you know, and and I don't have a real philosophy. Yoshinkan doesn't have a creed, and we don't have a real philosophy. But there is one underlying facet that we that we we talk about in Yoshinkan Aikido, and it's called shugyo. Right, and it, it shugyo is one of those really trying to strange meanings. Uh, but basically, the best definition I found of shugyo is it, it's gaining something through self-denial. Mm. You guys might do a thousand punches. You might do a thousand swings. You know, if you work in a sushi shugyo, you wash rice for a year. You know, the sushi restaurant I used to go to, the guy's knife was only six inches long. And once I asked him, I said, I thought the knife supposed to be like a foot and a half long. He said, oh, it used to be. I sharpened it for an hour every day and I've been using the same knife for 20 years. That's the type of stuff, you know, they do. Uh, and I think that stuff, if you do something focused and concentrated, it changes you. And if you do Yoshinkan, mm. especially if you're doing something essential, like you have to focus and concentrate or you will get killed. Sensei Suino, I see you nodding about that concept of, you know, uh, improvement through a bit of self-denial. It seems like you connect with that. Was that an idea that you picked up in Japan or is that just who you are through all of it? Uh, well, I think I first picked it up, you know, in the years before I went to Japan, you know, reading, reading all the stories, all the books about the samurai. That's, you know, it was an incredibly romantic notion for me, you know, starting in my teen years. And that's a big part of the reason I went to Japan, because I wanted to, I wanted to experience that. So I don't know, um, you know, the way I experienced it, you know, since I trained in multiple martial arts was to go to three dojos in one day, you know, for two or three hours each for four years straight. That was, that was my version of it. Uh, uh, and some of them were nicer and some of them were not yeah. very nice. And I only have, I only have three regrets from Japan. I mean, it was, I had a wonderful time. It was time to leave, but I had a wonderful, I mean, I paid the price and I'm, my wife would often ask me and say, why do you put up with all the bullshit? They treat you like shit. And you, and you just put up with it and you do whatever they say. And I said, well, because I'm always representing Kimeda Sensei. I have to do it right all the time. And I'm representing Yoshinkan Aikido in Canada. But the three regrets I have is I wish I had to train harder. I was pretty lazy, I think. I wish I had a studied a Koryu, but I was at, I'm basically for the last six years in Japan, I was teaching Aikido, I was at the dojo 30 hours a week and teaching English 35 hours a week. So I'd be at the dojo from 8.30 in the morning till two and then I would go teach English in the afternoon. And then on Sunday, it was the only day where I could have done Koryu. I, I'm, I was quite good friends with a guy named Mike Skoss and uh, he did Yagishin Kageryu and I wanted to do that really badly. But Sunday was the only day where I didn't have to go to the dojo, didn't have to teach English. Uh, so my wife got really heavily involved in Japanese antiques. So we, it was either go to her for the flea markets and buy old smelly Japanese stuff or go to practice Yagishin Kageru. So we made a compromise and I went to the flea markets and helped help carry old smelly Japanese things. <laughs> so that, those are my three regrets. And I really liked the sword. And I, I think I said that to Suino Sensei, don't, don't tell Kendo people that it's not sword. They don't like it. Don't tell them that. And that's the secret. So don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> but I really like the sword. Uh, and I have done a little bit of Iaido here, but I really suck at it. But I, I try hard. And everything I do, I kind of try my best. And that's kind of what the idea, that idea of the Shugyo, and the, if that makes sense. 
It absolutely does. Sensei, did we hit your follow-ups for the the Sensei for his time through that Sensei Dofa? No, that's that was perfect. I mean, the one thing I'll, I'll say that I think is funny that I'll build on something that happened in the past when Sensei Mustard said that ranks are maybe given a little easier sometimes in Japan is when Suino Sensei and I were there in Tokyo and I was sitting in a sword shop making one of the swords that's behind me right now. Uh, the girl that was helping to build it said, oh, I do Iaido. And she said, well, how long have you done it to me? And I said, oh, like 26 years. And she said, oh, well, I have a grading tomorrow. And I said, oh, yeah, what, what, what are you grading for? And she said, I'm grading for Sandan. Then she said, what rank are you? I said, oh, I'm a Sandan. Yeah. I said, how long have you trained? She said, yeah. uh, going on two years. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I used to sit Seiza because I was on the teaching staff. So whenever they had gradings, I had to sit Seiza. The longest I ever sat Seiza was two and a half hours watching grading. And and I remember sitting, because I was fifth on at the time. I, I got my fifth on in 91. And and I remember sitting there watching the testing. And I was This is when I was teaching. I was like the senior foreign guy teaching. And I would watch all these guys and I think, oh my God, get I'm, my legs are dying. <laughs> my legs are dying. Get the old guy off the mat. And I thought, oh, well, he's trying hard. What the hell? Give the old guy Midan or Sandan good enough. Then I'd find out later they were giving him Rokudan and stuff. And I thought, okay. But the truth is those guys are never going to impact on anyone's Aikido. And one other story about that that you guys will probably all like is, uh, Suino Sensei, did you ever meet or hear of a guy named Don Trent? Uh, I don't know if I met him, but I definitely heard the name, yeah. I went to his house and he was showing us Bato Jitsu and stuff and it was brilliant and I was so excited because his sword was pretty, pretty impressive. And his kendo teacher was Makakura Kiyoshi. So he really knew what he was talking about. And then from his house, I went downtown to meet my wife and a couple friends and then they introduced us to a friend of theirs. And this is the only time I was ever ignorant in Japan. I thought I was, because I always felt I had to be a good Canadian boy. But I met this guy and of course, his Japanese guy, his English was perfect. His English was perfect. And of course, he would ask me their time, and I told him I've been doing Aikido for, I don't know, 20, 20 years or whatever at that time, whatever. And he said, yes. And he said, I'm, I'm a Shodan in the Aido. I've been training for one year. And he would start telling me about that. And then we were talking, and he, he, was, he was telling me all about how martial arts should be. And then he looked at me, and he said, and I looked at him, and I thought, I know you're gonna say it. Don't say it. Just don't say it. And he looked at me, he said, but you know, Rob, you'll never understand Budo because you're a foreigner. And if I had a, a dollar for every time mm. someone told me that in Japan, I would have a dojo with a spa in the back with a big, huge bar fridge. But <laughs> then the guy looked at my wife and he pointed to my wife and said, but Carol will understand Japanese budo because she has Japanese blood. Wow. And you'll be you'll be really happy. I was very calm and collected. I slammed down on the table. I stood up, said, you absolute stupid fucking piece of shit. And I just went ballistic. <laughs> I just went, I just went ballistic and said, you stupid fucking piece of shit you don't know anything Rah! and it was the only time carol didn't yell at me i said we're leaving get up let's go now we'll go and then she said yes and i look and i said i said um 
it was, I can't remember the guys. I know it was Paul and I want to say Misako, but I said, Paul Misako, I'm really sorry. I'll, I'll meet you guys again. And I looked and I said, if I ever meet you ever again, I'm going to snap your fucking neck, you absolute stupid piece of shit. And I left the bar and we were, walk, we were walking to the train station. And if you, I know you guys have been, I've been to Japan. It's, there's, there's no time when it's not crowded, right? It just, that's just how it is. If you go, if you want to go to Disneyland in Tokyo, you got to go on a Wednesday afternoon in a typhoon, then it won't be busy. But my wife said, oh, you were walking to the station and there was this black cloud above your head. And I got on the train and I had a two foot space around me. Nobody came near me. And even Carol said, I was actually kind of scared. But, but I got that all the time. And, and all I, the only mistake I made is I really liked Budo and I really tried hard. You know, I used to, I was, I used to be uke for Takino Sensei in the All Japan demonstrations. And every night, not all the time, but I did it about five or six times. But, and every Saturday night before the Sunday demo, I would show Carol where my passport was, where my bank card was. And I would clean the, clean the apartment. And it took considerable courage to be his uke, but I couldn't say no. And I paid, I paid the price. And apparently, he tells everyone that I'm, I was, I was his favorite uke. But all he ever did was yell at me. So, mm. but yeah, I paid the price. Which sensei was that? Sensei Mustard. Who that was, was Takino Takafumi. If you go on YouTube, type in Robert Mustard kicks Takino Sensei's ass. You can see that video. No, there is no video like that. <laughs> I mean, he used to he used to throw me so hard that sometimes I would get up and I'd see three of them. So I'd just go for the guy in the middle. It took some mm. courage. And and he was it was yeah, it was hard. I used to hide from him. <laughs> I used to hide from him and he'd just point at me, just point and go like that. And that was it. So and, yeah. and to be honest, just one other thing is my wife Carol loved watching Gozo Shoda. And she loved, you know, watching all the top teachers in Aikido. But the first time she, she saw me take Uke for Takino Sensei in a demonstration, he just slaughtered me. And she said, I didn't like that. Mm. The next time Takino Sensei asked you to be his partner, you tell him no. I said, yeah, yeah okay, all right. So if I was going to be Uke for Takino Sensei, she would leave the auditorium. Um, a question from um, Robert Schlumsky, one of our black belts and, and one of our, our, our PKCC, uh, you know, core members, because he's running the show right now. In your yeah. experience, are there any significant differences and, and, and include your time after you got home uh, between training in Canadian and Japanese dojos? Depends on the teacher. But no, Kimeda Sensei set me up pretty well to be fine in Japan. And um, most people have told me that the training in my dojo is more serious than the Yoshinkan Hambu dojo, mm. which makes me feel very nice, but also actually truthfully makes me really sad. I mean, the Hambu dojo used to be, as soon as you walked into the place, there was an energy that was a bit spooky. It was, it was harsh. And like I said, when I was living in the Hambu dojo, it was really strict. And I remember once I said, oh, I'm going to go out and buy a Coke. And they said, no, you can't. I was 30 years old. I was like a man. They said, no, you can't. I could see the Coke machine on the other side of the road from the door of the dojo, and I didn't go. That's how it was. Mm -hmm. You know, you did what, you know, you just, we, we just say us. That saves a lot of, just say us. And if you're in that Yoshikan Hambu dojo, just say us, it gets you out of a lot of trouble. 
Um, so we have, uh, Sensei, uh, what are called the 10 questions. And okay. this is something we ask all our guests. And uh, you can take as much or as little time as you like to reply. And um, the questions are as follows. What is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? Uh, I, in terms of self-defense, um, my favorite, my favorite is called uh, Yuriminage, which is an entering throw where you curve your arm around the guy's head. In terms of the most lethal one is called Irimizuki. Irimi means to enter, Zuki means to thrust, and you enter in thrusting with the base of your heel, aiming for the, the, the chin, the bottom of the chin to snap their neck. Who is the most influential martial artist in your life? Can I say three? Yeah. Kimeda Sensei, Takino Sensei, and Chida Sensei. And, and for all different, they're all, they were all spectacular in their own way. Like, and Kimeda Sensei was like my father and Takino Sensei was the most brilliant teacher I'd ever seen. And Chida Sensei was just the most phenomenal technician I've ever seen. So my, my personality probably, and Aikido is more towards Chida Sensei because he had a big influence on me for seven years. Takino Sensei, was left to Hanbu Dojo in 1989 to go to Western Japan to take over there. So, but I took Uke for Takano Sensei in demos, not for Chida Sensei until he came to North America because he was always on before Takano Sensei. So those three are the ones who really shaped me. And I had two Kendo teachers who were very brilliant also. And I was really lucky because Jack and Jimmy were great too, but I was too young and stupid for Jack and Jimmy to appreciate what they were doing, if I'm honest. But they, I always tell people, seriously, I don't know how this sounds, but Kung Fu made me strong because I was a skinny, scared kid. I put on a lot of muscle, learned how to punch and kick and grab and snarl. Kendo made me tough because I was the ironic part was when I did get shodan, I don't wear belts and kendos. I did it all for nothing. Kendo made me tough because I had two teachers who were university captains and they just basically beat the crap out of me all the time. And I think Aikido made me nice. That would depend on who you talk to. Okay. Um, who's the most influential martial artist of all time and why? Really good question. I'd say in just terms of fame and getting everything known, it has to be Bruce Lee. I wanted to be a skinny little Chinese guy instead of a big white guy. What excites you most about your next five years of training? The really important thing is uh, if you if you talk to people who know me really well, they'll tell you I'm better now than when I was than five years ago. So I'm getting more relaxed and more smoother mm. and I'm using less, less muscle in my techniques now. And I think I'll keep getting better that way because that's how my teachers were. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? Perfect. Mustard, the dojo's over there. Right? It's a hundred tatami dojo and upstairs is a bar and spa and all the beer and chicken wings are free. <laughs> <laughs> and there is actually a judo club in London called High Wycombe where I've done seminars and they have a pub upstairs. Ooh. It is with it is without a doubt the best dojo on the entire planet. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's your favorite film and TV martial artist? Uh, I don't, I don't really have one. I just, I, I mean, it's, it's, they're all okay, but it just, no, I, I mean, when Steven said, I mean, when I came back to for Japan for holiday, my friends took me right to uh, the theater to see Above the Law. 
and I thought he was great. And we owe him a debt. He put Aikido on the mat. So, and his number one stump guys have been to my dojo many times for training. So you but, did just touch on that, but this is a great time to throw in a question from John Ryan into our 10 questions. What is your opinion of him as an ambassador of Aikido? Uh, he was brilliant. He's, I mean, he's a six foot, George Foreman said, never underestimate a 250 pound guy who can punch. And uh, he was 6'5", 250 pounds. And I don't pr particularly like that style of Aikido that he does. It's called Aikikai, but he was top notch. You know, and, yeah. and the first time I saw the movie, I thought he was okay. Um, but I mean, the nice, you can't, sorry, can I say he doesn't punch very well? If you, if you watched one of the ones where he was punching the Makawara, that was pretty sad. Uh, but apparently he's a big guy. And like I said, he's some of his stunt guys, he hits really hard because he's 350 pounds. But I think he's, you know, if you watch videos of him now, I don't think it's really good for Aikido. Yeah. Um, what martial artist, living or dead, would you want to train with or fight the most? Miyamoto Masashi. Mm. <laughs> if yeah. everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, whether they train or not, what would it be? Some of the most honest, decent, hardworking, nicest people I've ever met have been martial arts. Almost all my friends are martial artists anyways. And there, there's always going to be dickheads. And if you want, I can tell you all the Yoshinkan Aikido right. dickheads. I'll, 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 I'll wrap, them off, wrap them off for you. But almost all the martial artists I've met that are serious are usually kind, decent, and will do more for you. The truth is, in our modern society now, most people will spend more energy trying to fuck you than they'll try to help you. And most martial artists I know will do whatever they can to help you mm. and, and, and make things easier for you. That's the nicest thing. That's awesome. Thanks for that. And the last two questions, what's your greatest achievement and what's your greatest regret? <sighs> My greatest regret is I, I, sh I should have gone to university. I wish I had done that. Uh, My greatest achievement is I think I have the kindest most nicest daughter on the planet. Sorry, Randy. And she's also a spectacular dancer. She's my best achievement because most people always tell me she's kind and nice. Mm. And that's um, what some people say about me too. My most, the regret, the regret is I wish I had a worked harder and maybe done more because my dojo is just limping along. Um, I tell everyone I'm famous everywhere except Vancouver, but we're, we're still going. It's been 18 years. It'll be 19 years this year. Uh, but I wish I had maybe been a little bit more, not as stubborn about, you know, doing the real traditional Yoshinkan Aikido. So in terms of, I mean, you get, wait a second, one of my biggest achievements, like I said, is first shot because he's turned into a spectacular young man. I'm really, really lucky. He always tells people that he's so lucky he found me, but uh, I'm the lucky one. Mm. I'm the one who really lucked out. So. Sensei Dofa, I see when he says that about being too stubborn about teaching that, that Yoshinkan is really strictly, I see you shake your head there a little bit. What's your thoughts on that? My thought is uh, in the beginning 20 years ago when I started teaching, I thought I'd rather just shut this down and not do it anymore if I have to not do it the right way or what I perceive to be the right yeah, way. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Randy. And But the reality is, you have to pay the rent and you have to pay the heat and hydro. And I, I think I've made a pretty good balance with that. And I have kicked 11 people out of my dojo. I've told them this isn't the right dojo for you. And it's all been because of attitude. It's not because of skill or whatever.
it's all about attitude, you know? Well, and, since I'm, I'm really proud of you for not compromising your principles. And I'd rather come to a small dojo with 19 people and 20 to Tommy with the right attitude than a giant one. Well, I mean, uh, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm pretty easy going. You can do whatever you want. And I talked with someone once we were talking about it and I said, look, you can do whatever you want. I said, I can't. And they said, what do you mean I can't? I said, I learned, I, like I said, I don't consider Gozo Shota Kancho Sensei my teacher because he didn't know me. He looked at my dogi and say, hello, Robert, because <laughs> my name was on my dogi. But his two top teachers were my guys. I said, I can't do what I want. I mean, I've made it my own. I've made it my own because I was told to. Takino Sensei once said to me, what's Robert's Aikido? And I thought I'd be humble and say, I don't know. And that was the wrong answer. He screamed at me for about 20 minutes. How stupid was I? And there's one Choda, one Takino, one Cheetah, one Robert. Find your own way. So I've been told that I'm the perfect combination of Takino and Cheetah. But I have a responsibility to pass on the things they taught me. I can't just make it up and do what I want. Right? And I also believe Aikido has to be a strong martial art. Yoshinkan Aikido is an attitude just as much as it is a set of techniques. You have to be hard, strong, and you also have to be kind. And I think you can't be really kind unless you have this kind of backbone of knowing what you can do and what you can't. So, Sensei, I love that. I actually, there was a comment, and, and I don't know if you read the comments, but on one of your videos, and it was uh, a two-tour Vietnam vet who uh, was, was clocking a few people, you know, saying some of the stuff you've addressed about Aikido. And he just said, I don't think you people fucking understand it you don't have what it takes to go to war right now. You think you do just because you might punch a little extra in your dojo or not. It's the mindset. It's the yeah. mindset. And this guy trains the mindset. He wasn't even necessarily a student years that I know of. He did seminars with you, but I loved it. I actually wrote on excellent comment. I love this. And yeah. I really appreciated the yeah. way you address that. And what yeah, you have to that? have the right attitude on military training. It's all attitude. It's nothing. The techniques of course are important, but it's all attitude. I mean, the Marines, I mean, uh, I've been told I would have been a good soldier. I don't know about that. But you think about it, the Marines, when the bullets come flying, everyone runs away. The Marines run towards the bullets. What courage, balls, and the strength of character they have. And it's bred into them. And they, they deserve all our respect. So, but yeah, it's, it's a martial art. And the martial, if you don't have the right attitude, like I said, it's just kind of dancing. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. I see you nod along with that as well. Yeah, that notion. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the, the Marines running toward the bullets. I just posted something about, uh, I, I, I post every day something about American heroes. And there were two, two guys who were in the Marines at one time who were both in professional jobs in New York City when 9-11 happened. And they, for whatever reason, had their uniforms in their trunks of their cars and with absolutely no obligation to do so at all, they put their uniforms on and ran toward danger. And that's just such high praise for me, for the, the fighting men and women of, of, of all countries. And I'm happy to say that, you know, a lot of martial artists I know share that kind of value set. Yeah, absolutely. So Sensei, um, we uh, go around the horn at the end and we basically, you know, uh, sort of talk about how much we enjoyed the interview. Before we do that, is there anything you want to touch on? The last word does go to you, by the way, uh, yeah. after we do some housekeeping. But uh, is there anything oh. you want to 
you promote shout out before we get to that? No, no, thanks very much, everyone. Uh, everyone who's tuned in, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I will say the same thing I say when I do seminars because I, I, I haven't done seminars for a year now, but I quite enjoy teaching the seminars. And I usually teach with a good friend of mine, Joe Tambu Sensei, who's also a spectacular martial artist. And I always say at the beginning and end of every seminars, if I've done or said anything, when in terms of speaking of Aikido, if I've done or said anything that's enhanced your Aikido experience, that would make me pleased. Or if I've done or said anything that helped you, that would make me pleased. And I hope here it's the same thing. We could, I could probably talk for another couple hours if I'm honest, but uh, I had a great experience. I don't have any, uh, you know, real regrets. I mean, I'm doing what I, sh I'm sh I'm doing what I should be doing. And when I came back from Japan, I worked in a seafood company for five years and I came home one day from work and I said to my wife, it's time to start the dojo. And I said, I got to see if I can do it. I've been, I was teaching part-time of course, in other existing judo clubs because they had tatami. I said, it's time to try it. So I just bit the bullet and tried it and it turned out okay. I, I think so. Um, so. So we're going to go around the horn now and, and say a little something. And then, like I said, we'll do a little housekeeping and then let you uh, send everyone home. Sensei Legacy, anything you want to chip in or say? As you Well, yeah, I really enjoy hearing what it's like to live in Japan. I've never had the experience. And I know uh, Sensei Suino has as well. Um, some good, interesting stuff about different arts. And... Um, the one thing I like to say though about the titles and everything, sometimes carrying the title is a bit of a burden. Like we have to be there for our students. Can I say something about that, please? Yes. Once someone asked me, what does the title Shihan mean? And I said, I don't know, but I'm gonna go find out. And this comes back to what you said, Legacy Sensei. So I went to the dojo in the office and asked the teachers and they all said, yeah, it means a teacher is a teacher, senior teacher, master teacher, blah, 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 blah. And the dojo accountant went like this and he called me over and he said something I've never forgotten. And he said, when you get the title Shihan, it means your character and your technique are indicative of the style. And I thought, oh yeah, I really like that. No pressure there, shit. But, uh, <laughs> but... But, I, but I, I think that's great, like, like Legacy Sensei said, to wait, you know. Uh, the problem is if we're not careful, I mean, for example, now in the Yoshingan Hanbu Dojo, you just have to send in the money and they'll send you a Shihan certificate. So if, if so I think so. So if we're not careful, it becomes like that movie, The Incredibles, if everyone's super, no one's super, you know. And, and so I, I mean, all I do is I try the best for my students, for my family in Yoshinkan Aikido. So, but I agree with you totally. It is a big burden. But if you do the best you can for your students, it doesn't matter what title you have. They also need that from you. They need, like you say, you you call your sensei sensei, and yeah, and but you don't have it so much for you. But um, I believe that if you believe in a system, that you should do it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just you know, I've only had two people in my whole dojo in all the career that have called me Rob on and off the mat. And if it's if it means anything, they also probably had the worst Aikido. So I Randy mean, I for instance, Randy for instance has never called me Gary. Ever. Yeah. I've I've never called any of my teachers by their name. I except, except Jack and Jimmy because we didn't know. Mm -hmm. Right. So but anyway, 
I really enjoyed your talk tonight. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Sensei Suino. Well, there's a, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk more either on this call or, or off. We have a tremendous amount of shared experience, both having trained in Japan uh, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot that goes with it. I enjoy all the conversations we have on this show, but it's really nice when someone has had those experiences, not just in the dojo, but as you say, being a foreigner in Japan and kind of encountering that stuff uh, is, is something I really relate to personally. Um, I thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us. And uh, I do hope we can, we can chat again. That'd be nice. Sensei Dolphin? Man, I enjoyed this so much. I can't wait to hang out with you and drink some beers, Sensei Mustard and Train. Um, I, we'll make, I really we'll like make that. Nick pay. We'll yeah, make yeah, Nick, Nick can that pay be, for sure. That would, that would be great. Uh, Barkowski Sensei has put some beautiful pictures on, on Facebook of sushi in Toronto and stuff, but I still think in Vancouver we got you beat. Sorry, we got you beat. I, I don't disagree. Sean took me to uh, one of the nicest meals ever out there in Vancouver. Sensei Legacy had the best red wine he's ever had in his life. <laughs> um, but I, I got to say, I write these notes, Sensei Mustard, and uh, sometimes it takes me a second to get through. I really like the fact that you wanted to break that asshole's neck on that train in Tokyo. Like that, that uh, resonates with me. Um, I like that you said it's an attitude. And all martial arts, actually, that's one of the common things, the training and the attitude that we develop. Whatever it is, the art that you're doing, uh, everybody on this call has a certain attitude. Um, I like when you said that uh, as a sensei, you tell people, you must do what I say when I say it, or this is not the right dojo for you. I love that. Um, I like when you said, punch to the face hard, and if you have the right relationship, it's going to be just fine. And you said that you tried to hit them. I like that. Um, I like that you don't shy away from the reputation of Aikido. We all, every martial art carries that burden of a reputation. Um, and a lot of us try and, you know, we try and whitewash it and you don't, you just speak to it. And you don't think that your Aikido is any worse because of the reputation. I like that. Um, I like when you said that if your teacher punches, you should punch too. I really loved when you said, if you don't swing the sword correctly, then it mm. won't cut. And that that's a metaphor for martial arts. That's yeah. a metaphor for life, I think, not just martial arts. Um, I also like that you said in your dojo, nobody talks and nobody looks at the clock. That's the right type of dojo. Nobody talks and nobody looks at the clock. Um, I also like that you said you take Budo super serious, but you don't take yourself too serious. Uh, uh, to, be on, yeah, to be honest, Randy, I've just seen too many people who do, and it, it makes me, you know, uh, maybe Suino Sensei will, will concur on this, I'm not sure, but I don't do Japanophiles very well. So, <laughs> right. I, I, yeah. I, watched, I watched the movie Lost in Translation, and everyone said it was a wonderful movie. I thought it was a piece of crap, because all the things that people thought were funny just brought back irritating memories of the you know the stupid stupid <laughs> Japanese where you know how are you oh I don't English or you speak perfect Japanese to someone perfect Japanese and they say uh, no I don't English that used to make me mental so, but yeah so, yeah okay well back to the the other things that resonated that you said I 
I think this is something that all of us kind of relate to because I've heard this expressed from everybody at one point. If you're prepared to punch, you should be prepared to be punched. Mm. Yep. If you're prepared yep. to stab somebody, you should be prepared to be stabbed. And if you're prepared to shoot somebody, you should be prepared to be shot. Um, mm. I wish I they like were my you... words, but they're not. So. Yeah, well, I learned them from you. So that's uh, whoever's there, I learned them from you. Um, well, I've, yeah, I mean, you know, for example, in Aikido, we have lots of joint locking techniques and we have a joint locking technique called hijishime, which is locking the elbow. And the only way you can really find out if you can break someone's elbow is you have to break it. Do you mm -hmm. want to train with someone who's trying to break your elbow when you willingly give them your arm? No. But if you have the right training partner, you can go as close to the edge as you want. Mm. Yep, I love that. I love that you said if anybody hurts your family, um, you know, they're going to pay a very serious price. I can relate to that. I also can relate to the fact that you said the food was good and the beer was fantastic. Yeah. But you lost me when you said the girls thought I was cute. When I was there, I enjoyed the food and the beer, but none of the girls thought I was cute. Well, you didn't have the blue um, eyes, man. You didn't have the blue eyes. Didn't have the blue eyes. Um, I like that you said that training experience was the uh, worst nine months and the best nine months. And yeah. I love that you said you're, you have the best answer in my opinion of who you'd like to fight in history. That's the best one. Miyamoto Musashi stands alone. That is the best yeah. answer so far that we've ever had in my opinion. Um, and the last thing I want to say is, I really like that you said you were always trying hard because you're always representing Kamita Sensei. The fact that well, that drives you, that's a great thing, Sensei, that your Sensei is the thing that helps to drive you to be the best that you possibly can be and representing him. So thank you so much for being on today. My pleasure. Yeah, Sensei, I get the pleasure of doing this as well. And it's funny because I just scratched out about three or four things that Sensei Dofen said. I am his student and, and I connected with a lot of them. Uh, one of the things I like, though, when you mentioned about teaching is I'm, you just said I'm not interested in your opinion. And I love that. And um, I, I wrote down the, the same about the sword. If you don't swing it yeah. right, it won't cut. The one thing I really love you said, and this is actually, you know, something that's, um, I think, true for all of us, but I really take to heart is this is meant to enhance your life. Yeah, this is meant I have a better life because of this. And if I didn't, I might not care if I was a better fighter because I need a better life but everything good in my life has come from this as the foundation. And I really felt that when you said it, I also love when you talk, you know, you dismiss the fact that maybe some people get ranks earlier than anyone in this call thinks they should. You just said that won't have an impact on anyone's Aikido. Those people won't go on to have an impact on anyone's Aikido. And the yeah. reason I love that is because like all of the people we have on this show, if not almost all, I am, always impressed when the thing you're most proud of is like your daughter and your student it's not you doing this or you doing that it's the fact that you have people after you who might just carry on a little bit of what matters to you uh and and i really love yeah. that i really connect with that that means the world to me and it goes back to the enhancing your life you know um we all have a medal here or there but that doesn't enhance my life it's it's 
the community yeah. I'm a part of and, and the martial arts community that you talked about. So thank you so much. Um, I, I, just like everybody in this call as well, I can't wait to meet you. Uh, I'll have a near beer with you and, uh, and hopefully get to train as well. And uh, Vancouver's actually one of the top three places on my list when this all ends. So it, it, it'll be sooner than later in terms of the, the guests we've had on the show. Well, my students have been really supportive. The landlord's been decent. The government's been helpful too. So the way things are going, I think once this all said and done and gets back to normal, which it will be, uh, the dojo will still be there because my students have been spectacular. And like I say, we got a small little humble 50 tatami dojo. Uh, you know, you can swing a sword pretty well. I don't know if you want to, if you want to swing a nada, naginata, you'll take out some lights. But uh, it's a, we've got a couple makiwara, we've got some boken and tatami, and that's it. Mm, and we awesome. have a fridge in the, the men's changing room. Sometimes there's beer in it. Sometimes there's water. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. So if anyone, you know, did, just call. We, I think uh, I think I have, I mean, I, my students are great. They're supportive. And we've got a really, this dojo is a nice feeling in the dojo. So, I mean, you can be strict and hard and, 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 and I never laughed when I first came back from Japan, but I'll laugh and tell jokes now, because if you're serious about it, it doesn't matter. People can feel your heart. Thanks, Sensei. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping and then give you the last word. Okay. And uh, by the way, one thing that I just want to add in to everybody watching, we've talked about this, but we started this show um, for all the, the reasons you know, and it was uh, initially for me, Sensei Dauphin had reached out with the idea. But the idea was born because of a pandemic and we're still in it. And there are schools and there are teachers and there are clubs who may now eight, nine months in, maybe they were doing fine after four months and now they've lost that next wave of students, whatever. So just remember that there's clubs out there that can probably use your support. Um, you know, maybe pay those dues, even if you can't get there the way you wanted to, uh, send a donation, whatever. Uh, I'm not saying that for our club. I'm not saying that for any one club. But I am saying that for all the clubs, let's uh, let's help each other out as the community that we that we are, but also claim to be. Um, the other thing is, and I will make sure that with Sensei Dauphin, always make sure I'm not forgetting stuff. But next week, it's one of my favorite things we've done on this show, which is the hosts chat. And uh, if you're watching, and you weren't part of that. Um, the one thing we do a little differently is when a guest, uh, pardon me, when a, a viewer asks a question, we bring them up on the screen. And for that period of time, you're one of our guests and we get to interact with you. It's a really beautiful thing. Uh, I, I always get to chat a little more about my feelings and experiences. I do appreciate that, but I actually appreciate more that we get to interact with some of the regular viewers and, and field their questions that way. So we're super stoked for that. Uh, Sensei Dofa, am I missing any of the bookkeeping? Uh, I just want to talk about next year because after uh, the host chat, which I'm super looking forward to, and again, I'm going to steal what Sensei Suino said the last time we did one. What we're doing here, while we started it kind of humbly, we've had some of the most serious martial artists. And, you know, as the mountain, you start to climb up the mountain. The reason why uh, Sensei Mustard knows Sensei Gage and knows Sensei Suino and knows Sensei Legacy is because there's so few people up there. And uh, so we've created this thing. When you get to come on and you get to ask a question for a few minutes or you get to be part of that history, it goes up there forever with everybody. And so I, I hope people are brave also. If you're nervous to have your face on the screen and ask a question, don't be. Be brave and ask that question. Um, but when we reach into next year, 
we have already the first two guests uh, in January lined up. And so we should just let people know that because we're going to take a Christmas break. And I don't want people to think that when we get to 2021, we're not going to be doing this anymore. Uh, but since this, you know, uh, I reached out to uh, Johan Skelberg, who's a really, really famous martial artist right now. If you go out and Google his name, he's blowing up all over. Uh, and that was as a result of the Capital Conquest. We, we kind of, we've been introduced to some people from across the world now. Uh, so we're going to have Johan Skelberg on. And then since, you know, do you want to talk about uh, Lee and Paul Masters, Sensei Lee and Paul Masters? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Paul is the father. Lee is the son. They're both extremely accomplished martial artists. Paul is actually a Menkyo Kaiden in Tenjin Shinryo Ryu. Shin -ryo -ryu. And um, uh, uh, they're a couple of badasses. And it's just going to be really interesting to get their perspective. You know, um, Paul spent some time in Japan, uh, obviously, to get a Minkyo Kaiden. And, um, uh, you know, we're starting to reach over to Europe a little bit. And it's going to be really interesting to see what, how, the, how the historical perspective of the Europeans, having done some of the things that we've done, differs from ours. Um, yeah, yeah, they're just... They're amazing people, very well accomplished. I don't know them well, but everything I know about them is very impressive. Well, we're excited about that. And then the third guest in the new year has not been confirmed yet, but uh, it's a name that we have all batted around for a long time on this call. And I'm gonna be getting together with Sensei Legacy to figure out what the path forward is with that person. Cause he's a senior of Sensei Legacies um, in karate and I just, we can't do this without having that person on here at some point. So that's a bit of a teaser for everyone, but it's coming. Uh, the person has agreed and we just need to figure out how to make it happen. So. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sensei Dofen. Thank you so much, everybody for watching. And as always with our guests, the last word goes to you, Sensei Mustard. It was an absolute pleasure. The time has just flown by. I think I could talk a little bit more. And the big important thing is everyone keep training all the answers are on the tatami or hardwood floor, whichever way you want to do it. Uh, and this stuff has to really make your life better. And if I did or said anything that gave people a bit of a spark, they want to get back to the dojo when we can finally get back, that would make me happy. Thank you so much, Sensei. Thank you so much Oops. for watching, everybody. Stay safe. We'll see you in one week. And uh, we really appreciate your support. Thanks, Sensei Mustard. Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Yoroshiku onegaitashimasu.